a podcast by Cipra. Il podcast della Cipra. Le podcast della Cipra. Der Cipra podcast. Ciprim podcast. Interviews, background talks and voices from all alpine countries. Listen to this and more in the podcast of the International Commission for the Protection of the Alps. www.cipra.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to a new edition of the Zebra podcast with Veronika Ribenik at the microphone. Over the past three years, the Be Aware project has inspired communities throughout the Alpine Arc to protect wild bees and honeybees and thereby improving the livelihoods of these important pollinators. The online bee conference, Let's Be Together, at the end of April marked the conclusion of the project. After bee-friendly conversations with participants from across the Alps and a virtual flight through the Alpine Arc with inspiring presentations from selected project communities, we listened to a keynote on biodiversity by Dr. Severin Ihl from the University of Frankfurt. Listen now to a shortened version of the keynote with the title Treasure Island in Peril Insights from Oceanic Islands and the Relevance for the Alps and other Mountain Systems. And find out what mountains and islands have in common. As a biogeographer, I study the distribution of, of living beings in, in space and time, and I use Uh, islands as a as model systems to do this, but their relevance for the, find, the things we find on islands often can be transferred also to other larger systems on the continent. But islands are good living laboratories, as you said, uh, to, to study the general processes that we find in nature on Earth. So, but the first question is actually, what is an island? And of course, we all maybe have in our mind some kind of tropical dream island like this one with white sandy beaches, uh, coconut trees, uh, tropical lush green tropical rainforest, a blue lagoon, maybe a cocktail in one hand and a surfboard in another hand. And these islands exist, but from an ecological and biogeographic uh, perspective, islands can be much more um, because isolated habitats uh, exist also on the continent. For example, here, if you look at The satellite image from Kilimanjaro, this is Kilimanjaro Peak and its neighboring peak Mount Meru in, in, in Tanzania. Uh, we can see already just from the colors of the image imagery that especially the alpine zone here above 3000 meters is something what like, an, like a sky island in a sea of savanna. So we have very different environmental conditions up here in the alpine zone than we have in the in the in the in the low elevation savanna here and therefore mountains are also termed sky islands because many processes and that's what i'll be showing many processes that lead to biodiversity are comparable very comparable between islands and, and mountains but of course i mainly work on real islands so i'd like to just share some facts about islands in general islands are actually quite irrelevant in terms of surface area They only cover about 6% of the global surface area. 
even though there are about 340,000 islands worldwide, countries like Indonesia alone has, has already like 17,000 17, islands of which 6,000 islands are inhabited. The largest island is Greenland, even though that is debated, it has about 2.1 million square kilometers. Why is this debated? Because actually Greenland is, a, is several smaller islands connected by the ice cap. So the next larger real island is New Guinea, just north of Australia. And we have also very, a very strong range in, in geological age of islands. Some, some islands are quite old, like Madagascar is 150 million years old, and other islands are just a few years or decades old, like the island Surtsien off the coast of Iceland, which was born in 1963 due to volcanic activity. Also, uh, islands can range very dramatically in, its, in their elevational range. Some atolls are only a few centimeters, maybe two, three meters above sea level. Let's say the Maladies, for example, uh, um, are basically uh, just a few centimeters above sea level, but some um, islands reach more than 4,000 meters, for example, Hawaii, or Taiwan or Borneo, or even New Guinea, the biggest island is also the highest island. Its peak Mount William is 4,500 meters high and even has a glacier ice cap on top, which is quickly melting away, but it's, it, it has one. Islands also uh, inhabit about 10% of the human population, uh, but interestingly, they harbor also 27% of the languages. So we have a disproportionately high amount uh, of a number of languages on islands, probably due to the isolation uh, also in cultural sense. And uh, about 25% of the world's nations are island nations. So this could be a force to reckon with in, in the political arena if islands would choose to do this, but they obviously don't at the moment at least. And most importantly for my uh, talk is islands harbor 20% of the global biodiversity, but only cover, like I said, 6% of the Earth's land surface area. So we have a disproportionate high, high contribution of islands to global biodiversity, about four times as much biodiversity as expected just from the land area itself. So islands are real hotspots of biodiversity. And the reason why we have, why this biodiversity is so high is not because islands themselves are so species rich, actually they're quite species poor. Each, each island itself is quite species poor, but we have many endemic species on islands, which makes each island unique in a sense, which because it has unique species that only occur there. But I'd like to talk about this uh, topic endemism a little bit because it's a little difficult and not, uh, not clear to everyone. At this point in a lecture to students, I, I would ask them how many species are endemic on earth? And then they would say something like, oh, I don't know, 100,000 or 1 million or 10,000 or something like that. And of course, this is a trick question because as far as we know, all species are endemic to Earth. So far, we haven't found giraffes or beech trees on Mars or the Mars rover hasn't found any. If the Mars rover that is currently up there would find a giraffe on Mars, then the giraffe wouldn't be endemic to Earth anymore, but would, be, would, be, would have a wider distribution. So endemism is always a... Is it always depends on the reference system. And in this case, the reference system is the Earth, is our Earth. And this is, a, for biogeographic terms, um, not very sensible, not very helpful because it's much too large. If we, if we look down at, at smaller systems, for example, at the Alps here, I, I, I found some nice examples of endemic species in the Alps. The Alps could be our reference system. 
So these, these species here, like, like this one here, Primula alleoni, uh, is an endemic species to the Maritime Alps, so even a smaller region, and is actually only found in two valleys in the Maritime Alps. So it's a very local endemic with a very range-restricted distribution, and this is more what we consider endemism. Or another example is here, Saxifraga styriaca, uh, of, which is uh, um, an endemic to Styria, as the, as the name already implies, it only occurs in the, in the region of Styria. Uh, and um, yeah, it has a very small distribution and only is found in the Niederetauern there. Uh, so a lo very local endemic species too. If, if we look at this a little more, the distribution of endemic species a little more closely, we see that endemic species, this is for Austria, but this is probably also true for the rest of the Alps. Most endemic species uh, um, occur at like these mid to high elevations between 1600 and 2000 meters. So this is about the transition zone between the, the tree, uh, the, between the subalpine forest and the alpine meadows. And it's obviously some uh, important, ecologic important region for endemic species. If we go to islands, islands are much more clearer to define the borders for, for the Alps or for many other mountain systems. It's quite difficult to define where the Alps actually begin, where's the border, and where where do the Alps end? But for islands, it's much clearer. We have we have uh, the coastline, which uh, differentiates between the habitable area, so the island, and the inhabitable uh, ocean. And what is the reason for this? These this this these the the explosive uh, diversification of island species, where we have within a genus, many, many different uh, species uh, inhabiting different parts of, of the islands or different environmental niches in the island. This, uh, uh, what we term adaptive radiation is a process leading to the strong diversification of island uh, uh, um, lineages, but this also occurs on, on, on mountain systems as well. Now, this is the radi radiation process, but we would also, I'd also like to talk about how endemism is distributed on islands spatially. And an important part is the elevation of gradients. And if we look at here, uh, and, and the elevation of gradient also stands for isolation. If we look at this map here for the, of the Canary Islands in the Atlantic Ocean, we can see that the nearest coastal system is only about 100 kilometers away from the nearest island. But if we go to the Alpine system above 2,000 meters here depicted in, in this, this reddish brown color, uh, the nearest alpine system on the continent in the Antarctic is more than 700 kilometers away. So that means with increasing elevation, we have increasing isolation, which reduces gene flow between populations and therefore might increase speciation and thus the production of, of endemic species. For all these different island systems, we find a general pattern and that is the increase of the percentage of endemic species with elevation. And we... Uh, interpret this as an, as an increase of isolation with elevation, which leads to higher uh, diversification and speciation rates. So more endemic species are, are, are created due to evolutionary processes in higher elevations than in lower elevations. And this is not only true for islands, uh, this is also true for mountain systems around the world. So this is a very general pattern uh, that, that was found on islands, but is also transferable to mountain systems. But another aspect about endemism and speciation is climate. And climate, as we know, is non-stationary. It's quite dynamic. It changes through time. And, it's, and it has long-lasting effects on, on, the, on the 
on biodiversity and how biodiversity is generated. So when we have temperature change, we have sea level change. Um, and for, uh, for, of course, for islands, the sea level change is more relevant. We have, uh, during the last glacial maximum, the LGM, so it was about 20,000 years ago, the sea level was 120 meters lower than today, which, which means, of course, that some islands that are now isolated were connected to each other or to the mainland or were just less, less isolated from the mainland than they are now. So through time, we have changes in connectivity and isolation for islands. And the same is true if we look at the temperature change uh, for which is more relevant for mountain systems. If we, for example, look at the alpine system in, in mountains above the tree line, it has fluctuated up and down the mountains along with these temperature changes that we have seen in the past 800, even, even millions of years. So also alpine systems have, have been more isolated uh, now, during the warm phases and have had more connectivity when they were lower during the cold phases. Of, uh, and and this, has, this has led to fusion and fission of, uh, of the alpine systems within the mountain system. So what we see is temperatures and sea level have dramatically changed throughout 800,000 years. So we're in a warm period, the so-called interglacial, which is rather, rather the exception than the norm. And that means that most species that are, that are about a couple hundred thousand years old, these are the timescales for evolutionary processes, 100,000 to million years old, they evolved under much cooler ice age conditions that were dominant in the last several millions of years. If we look at this from a distant perspective, from a spatial perspective, I'd like to show you a graph here with the Alps and one with the archipelago of Hawaii. And, we, and it shows the spatial distribution here for the Alps of the Alpine system, so the system above the tree line, uh, during different stages here, the glacial stage, the interglacial stage, and also a future, future uh, stage with uh, two, two, percent, uh, uh, two degrees uh, uh, temperature increase. And what we see is in the glacial stage, the Alpine system was restricted to the borders of the Alps, only on the, um, the, the peaks in the, uh, on the, uh, on the outer part of the Alps were, were available habitat, while the central parts of the Alps were covered with large ice shields. Uh, the current interglacial, we see this also island-like, archipelago-like uh, um, behavior of the Alpine system, where we have uh, different peaks uh, fu functioning as, as uh, island-like structures. And if we look at the future here, uh, two degrees increase, we see that the Alpine um, area, the area of the Alpine system will dramatically decrease in area. So we ha have these past changes have led to expansion and contraction of suitable habitat, triggering these diversification processes and speciation processes. Under isolated conditions, we have higher speciation rates because of restricted gene flow than under uh, um, connect, connect, high connectivity conditions. And, and that's why, very similar, mountains and islands serve as species pumps because of these, uh, these fluctuating conditions. They're always constantly pumping out new species, I mean, over evolutionary time, of course. And that's why their contribution to global biodiversity is so important. And what we also see is this possible dramatic contraction of suitable habitat uh, for the next century in, in under the current climate change that we see, which is of course an, an anthropogenic climate change. Now we're coming to the, the threats to island biodiversity and, and basically we can, and, and, and endemic plant species and islands. I work with plants, but many of these, these threats also are relevant for other taxonomic groups like insects or mammals or birds, for example. 
basically there are three main threats to island endemic plant species invasive species uh, habitat destruction and over exploitation of habitat and also now more increasingly uh, also uh, climate change if we look at a global analysis of of how climate will change or will probably change on islands within the next century due to anthropogenic climate change we see that for temperature which is one part of, of climate we see a general increase that which is of course uh, clear our, our planet is warming so will islands warm um, um, maybe not as strongly as the continent because islands are buffered by the ocean in temperature that's why they have a very um, equalized climate throughout the year little seasonality with precipitation is a little different if you look at precipitation changes in the next uh, uh, decades we see uh, this diverging pattern so an increase in variation in, in precipitation and gen the general pattern is drier islands will dry islands will become drier and wet islands will become wetter so this was a global perspective on climate change but how will this actually affect species on the islands uh, and so to to see how this how this will affect these species for, for example for my island la palma where i work on we did this species distribution modeling approach where we um, modeled the distribution of all endemic plant species under current climatic conditions and under future con climatic conditions and then we kind of overlaid these their distribution and made this uh, um, map of change in species richness of endemic species so species richness will gen in general decrease in many in many areas especially in, in the coastal areas here dry coastal areas but but also particularly in the alpine system uh, on the in the highest part of the mountain so our alpine species are particularly threatened here and this makes sense because alpine species they already occupied the highest elevations of the island or a mountain peak this is the same is true also for for mountains and when climate warms they have they have to move up upwards but eventually there's no more room to move upwards because they're only at the peak because species from lower elevations will push them over the top um, which of course in this case might um, lead to extinctions of course it's difficult to predict extinctions or we can't predict extinctions but what we find is three of the five what we call biggest losers are alpine species and we define biggest losers as species that lose 100 percent of their climate climatic suitable area and this of course points in a very strong direction that these species will be threatened uh, uh, by extinction in the in the near future now to look at the um, at mountain systems here uh, also uh, the alps are among them uh, this nice study uh, in nature from 2018 looked at different mountain systems in the Alps, from the Pyrenees to the Alps, to the Scans, uh, to Svalbard Island. Uh, and uh, it looked at how climate change has already affected mountains in the last 140 years or, 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 or more. And how can they do that? Uh, they used, and this is a very nice approach, they used uh, botanical studies that were 100 or 120, 140 years old and went and and then uh, uh, went out there again and resurveyed the same areas to see how uh, species composition and species richness has changed uh, over this long time period time period but the question is how do you find a, a vegetation survey area that was surveyed 120 years ago when there wasn't they didn't have any gps or anything like that uh, and the and the, the brilliant idea was that these People already back then they loved hiking. They liked loved hiking up mountain peaks and studying 
the flora on the mountain peaks. And these mountain peaks, of course, are still here. Uh, nowadays, they haven't changed much. But so we can go back to these mountain peaks and, 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 and uh, survey the flora and then compare uh, the, the, the current survey with the, with the past survey. And what we see is two things. In general, we see there has been a dramatic increase of, uh, of temperature in the last 120, 140 years with a strong increase in the last uh, 20 to 30 years. So the, there has been an acceleration in temperature change. And this pattern is very strongly, very nicely mirrored in the changes in species riches. Species riches has increased and then dramatically accelerated in the, in the last 20 to 30 years. So, and what does this mean for, for mountain peak species? And, and like we saw before, in high elevations, we find very, uh, we have a high percentage of endemic species. And if uh, uh, species from the lowland uh, are moving upwards into the, into the areas where the endemic species usually occur, uh, they will start to outcompete these high elevation specialists and the, uh, the, uh, the low elevation or lower elevation generalists will, will, will replace them. So the mountain peaks might, might, will, might lose their uniqueness in the future, which is of course a, a dramatic loss for, for mountain biodiversity. In general, what we see is that, um, and I'm sure you all know this, we, we're in the middle of this global biodiversity crisis. And what, what we have seen is uh, that extinction rates have strongly increased, especially in the last hundred uh, years for all different times, times, kinds of taxonomic groups, amphibians, mammals, plants as well, which are not shown here. And extinction rates are much higher than the natural extinction rates would, would be. And the IPBES here has estimated, the International Intergovernmental Panel on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services has estimated that globally about 1 million species are threatened of extinction. And depending on how you count global species riches, because we don't know how many species really occur on, on earth yet, uh, that, that's about five to 10% of, of all species worldwide that are threatened, that are threatened now of immediate extinction. And of course, this is not fine. This is something that we are all working to, to, to stop. Just to see what dramatic effects or what dramatic effects, long, large scale effects uh, anthropogenic biodiversity loss, loss, has, loss has, I'd like to show you this example of the bird fauna of New Zealand, where a colleague of mine uh, studied how the European and pre-European colonization has led to widespread extinctions. The Maori already uh, uh, um, led several species like the moas to extinction or the hast eagle here, the largest eagle in the world. Um, uh, they, these species already went extinct pre-European colonization. And then, and then when the Europeans colonized, many other species went extinct as well. And my, what my colleague did is he looked at, at the current species riches and the, the past species riches for the bird fauna. And then he let evolutionary models run and to see how long it would take for the, for the current spe species riches to go back to, to, to its pre-human species riches. And what he finds is, and this is really astonishing, it would take 50 million years of evolutionary processes, natural evolutionary processes to produce a comparable pre-human diversity in the bird fauna. 50 million years. If we go back 50 million years, we're almost back at the dinosaur age. And if we go 50 million years in the future, there won't be any Homo sapiens anymore. Homo sapiens, our species is only 250,000 years old. So the, we have these irreversible effects on biodiversity that have already happened. 
and we're but and and we're still losing biodiversity due to anthropogenic uh, impacts. So we see very long-term impacts uh, on diversity, which are basically for our species irre irre irreversible because we won't be able to change these things. While, for example, climate change is something that we could change in the in, in, in a few generations. So I get to my last point because I'm running a, a, a time a little bit. Island uh, diversity is under threat. Uh, even though islands only harbor about 20% of the species, 50% of the endangered species are island species because they are range restricted, because they are genetically impoverished. And 80% of the extinct species, for example, this dodo here, uh, that we've already recorded are from, from islands. And 85% of these extinctions are linked to invasive species. So invasive species are very important uh, for, for the loss of species on, on islands. For example, this species is very cuddly, cute European rabbit. My kids like, like to feed rabbits, but for island scientists, they're plant killers. They're, they're one of the most dramatic plant killers on islands uh, because Europe, the European rabbit is one of the 100 worst invasive species worldwide. Okay, to sum up the little take home message here, um, I'd, li I'd like just, just to say, and uh, what we see is islands and mountains are surprisingly similar I just like to throw in the term of sky islands again that we use often for mountains and, and the processes leading to biodiversity and endemism. Both islands and mountains are irreplaceable hotspots of global biodiversity. That's what that's a very good reason to protect uh, uh, the biodiversity here and in mountains and on islands. Um, but we also see that biodiversity, and I'm sure you also all know this for yours, mountain systems is under pressure. Uh, and uh, and the main pressures are habitat destruction, climate change, invasive species, and over-exploitation. This is what I know for islands, and I assume this is also true for mountain systems. That was a shortened version of the keynote, Treasure Island in Peril, Insights from Oceanic Islands and the Relevance for the Alps and Other Mountain Systems by Severin Eel from the University of Frankfurt. He was the keynote speaker at our online bee conference Let's Be Together. If you want to know more about Be Aware and see the activities from the project communities, visit our website www.sipra.org beaware or visit the Be Aware blog, www.beaware.blog. Zipra implemented Be Aware in cooperation with the community network Alliance in the Alps and the Alpine Town of the Year Association. The project was funded by the German Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation and Nuclear Safety and other third-party sources. Thank you for listening and always stay aware. You heard Veronika Hibernik at the microphone. Goodbye and hear you next time. A podcast by Cipra. Il podcast della Cipra. Le podcast de la Cipra. Der Cipra podcast. Cyprin podcast. Interviews, background talks and voices from all alpine countries. Listen to this and more in the podcast of the International Commission for the Protection of the Alps, www.cipra.org forward slash podcast.